0: My name is Padre Tuma and whenever I write a recipe out for a friend, I normally put some little extra delicious details in there about when you should do a little dance or what kind of music should be on. Because I feel like a recipe is an opportunity in writing to give some tools for survival, as well as maybe a couple of quantities. But normally I'm fairly vague on quantities and recipes I write out. But recipes are an old form of poetry, and I think a recipe and a poem each have a measure at the heart of them, a measure about pain, a measure about love, a measure about pleasure or about survival. They're giving a certain form of instruction that can turn you either towards the deliciousness of food or the deliciousness of language that can help you look at your own life and feel like you're finding something from it in the engagement with the writing. Ordinary Sugar by Amanda Gunn. Aunt Mary made graham cracker cake without measuring cups, divided one pound light brown sugar with a knife, half for the cake and half for the pearlescent, hand-beaten, double-boiled icing. Aunt Arlene made yellow cake with frosting of real fudge, 234 degrees in all, slow-cooled, poured just before the rapid and irrevocable hardening. Ordinary sugar coaxed to its epiphany, an heir to their confectionery sleight of hand. I keep their notes pressed in a book and safe. Sugar is poison to my arthritic knees, but their recipes will rest nonetheless pristine, not spoiled with things that just seem sweet. I'll make savoury dishes out of what grows green, what snaps pleasurably, what must, after twice the loss of such women, be plenty. Of Grandma Mattie, sugar alchemist it is said, if they were all she had to hand, she could make sweet potato pie out of russets, seduce their pale starches until they tumbled into caramel. What the loving living tell! I remember her gleaming glass eye, her pregnant wordlessness, her spinning through the kitchen hot and fast, to the ruthless manic canning, putting by, putting by against memories too near starvation, the machine in her belly built to last. I do not have preserved in my book how she seasoned her pear chow chow or trapped the summer gardens her labours made lush. I know only that she fed the earth her eggshells and morning coffee grounds, that she harvested continually and in fullness the tender skins near breaking, near sugar, always before the chill. Not one bite lost. She'd mastered in a life how to grow a winter meal, to till, to weed, to water, to tend. Learned how, I hope, to be satisfied. Help me, Lord, to be satisfied. I was born impatient, under a vibrating star, but my mother taught me gently, before it ached us both to stand, how to slice fat into cold flour, sprinkle ice water by tablespoons, form a perfect discus of dough without touching it, unfurl the crust from a good French pin, brush with milk. A proper flute taught me too how to discern and sort and sugar down the fruit and when to fill the plate and when to wait instead for the juice to come in. I love the three characters in the poem, Aunt Mary, Aunt Arlene and Grandma Mattie. And then, of course, Amanda Gunn's voice in it, too. Aunt Mary and Aunt Arlene seem almost to be pitted against each other, not necessarily in personality, but in style of cooking. Aunt Mary doesn't measure the sugar. She divides one pound light brown sugar with a knife. And then Aunt Arlene has this great precision in 234 degrees for the fudge, slow, cooled, poured, just before the rapid and irrevocable hardening. These two aunts both seem to have a great love of sugar. So do I. And nonetheless, they seem to approach the the question of cooking in a very different way, or certainly that's the way they're characterised in the poem. And then Grandma Mattie is a sugar alchemist also. And she's also thrifty and quiet and she has suffered a lot. She spins and puts by, puts by. There's memories of starvation in her story. She's a gardener and a preserver and a recycler and a harvester. She knows how to tend the earth. She knows how to make a winter meal. And she's ruthless in her provision and her providing for people she loves. And she has filled the bellies of other people with what she's done the whole year round knowing when to plant knowing when to harvest knowing how it is to feed people from stuff she's grown during a time when nothing's growing anymore the machine in her belly built to last what is that machine? a machine that has known starvation and in a certain sense is saying I won't let anybody around me know this kind of hunger that her giving of food was a an economy, a business, an agricultural intelligence and an absolute commitment to saying, I won't let anybody go through what I went through. so many indications in this poem of specifics about cooking, uh, such that the poem really is in conversation with a form of writing that is a recipe. You know, there's the one pound of light brown sugar and hand-beaten, double boiled, yellow cake, 234 degrees, real fudge, slow-cooled, rapid hardening, caramel, canning, pear, chow-chow, sweet potato and then russets as well. The capacity to be able to seduce the starches of a russet potato until it tumbles into caramel. What an amazing level of knowledge about food that's everywhere throughout this brilliant poem and looking through food into saying what does this tell us about a life what does this tell us about the lives of women who were put into situations where it wasn't just about survival but it was about the engagement of pleasure and this poem is it's delicious to say I also find myself a little bit hungry when I read the poem out loud I'm salivating as I say some of these words I want to taste some of those pies and taste some of that fudge and what Amanda has gone doing in this poem is giving, if you're reading the poem or listening to it, giving you pleasure while you're saying it. And throughout the poem, there's a desire in the midst of praising these forebears. There's a desire to, to hope that they knew something of satisfaction. She'd mastered in life how to grow a winter meal, to till, to weed, to water, to tend. Learned how I hope to be satisfied. Just those two words there towards the end. I hope. You hear the speaker of the poem, Amanda Gunn, saying, I hope in the midst of all of the extraordinary industry that she knew and that in the midst of the exhaustions and demands that she knew what it was like to be satisfied with her own labor and perhaps satisfied too with the product of her labor, the sugar, the sweetness that she was able to bring in into a life that sometimes didn't seem so sweet. This is a poem that to my mind, suggests memories of what it was like to be a child, but written from the point of view of somebody who's a little bit older now, sugar is poison to my arthritic knees, the second stanza says. And you hear that this speaker of the poem can't partake any more in sugar, but yet is knowing what it was that sugar represented and that sugar represented care and love and pleasure in the midst of hardship, as well as precision and skill and intuition. And all of these things, the ordinary sugar of these things can be turned into so much I feel like this is a poem in praise of poetry, too, because this is somebody that's taking words and words that do deal with some difficulties, putting by, putting by against memories too near starvation. It's taking words like that and putting them into something absolutely delicious to say. There's sweetness in these words. There's a reclamation almost to say that in the midst of things that were taken away, These forebears of mine, these foremothers of mine, knew what it was to speak about sweetness. And she is saying, even though she can't take sugar, she is taking words and putting sweetness into the words, into the hearing of them, into the speaking of them, into the meaning of them. The poem takes an interesting turn toward the end and moves towards a prayer, a prayer for satisfaction, interestingly. It's like a grace after a meal, but also a grace for a life. She says that she was born impatient under a vibrating star. And there's uh, an indication of time and a relationship with time here to speed it up. You can't make anything cook faster than it's going to cook. And so there's a juxtaposition here really between the art of learning how to cook and to bake and to watch something um, bake in its own time, as well as a desire to achieve. And that change of time is held together by the mother's gentle teaching, the teaching about how to wait for juice, how to share abundance, how to be patient, how to be present. The poem rises like a prayer at the end, but also rises like dough or rises like something that is cooking in an oven. And we're brought into a great resolve, into a meeting of somebody who has deep desire for achievement holding that together with the lessons learned through time through these four mothers of hers, her own mother, the grandmother, the aunties. There's a few parts in the poem where the language really um, lifts itself up into something that almost seems like a hymn. Ordinary sugar coaxed to its epiphany. And then later on, what the loving living tell, putting by, putting by against memories too near starvation. Not one bite lost she'd mastered in a life how to grow a winter meal. Learned how, I hope, to be satisfied. These the sections of the poem, I think, lift themselves out of the detail about sugar and look at what does it mean to live a life well, in love with the people around you, in provision with the people around you. And what does it mean now for the poet who has inherited all of these memories from these forebears? What does it mean for her to bear witness to them, to honour them and for her in her craft, too, to bear witness through language to the sweetness of memory? Ordinary Sugar, by Amanda Gunn Aunt Mary made graham cracker cake without measuring cups, divided one pound light brown sugar with a knife, half for the cake and half for the pearlescent, hand-beaten, double-boiled icing. Aunt Erline made yellow cake with frosting of real fudge. Two hundred and thirty four degrees in all. Slow cooled, poured just before the rapid and irrevocable hardening. Ordinary sugar coaxed to its epiphany. An heir to their confectionary sleight of hand. I keep their notes pressed in a book and safe. Sugar is poison to my arthritic knees, but their recipes will rest nonetheless pristine, not spoiled with things that just seem sweet. I'll make savoury dishes out of what grows green, what snaps pleasurably, what must, after twice the loss of such women, be plenty. Of Grandma Mattie, sugar alchemist, it is said, if they were all she had to hand, she could make sweet potato pie out of russets, seduce their pale starches until they tumbled into caramel. What the loving living tell? i remember her gleaming glass eye her pregnant wordlessness her spinning through the kitchen hot and fast to the ruthless manic canning putting by putting by against memories too near starvation the machine in her belly built to last I do not have preserved in my book how she seasoned her pear chow chow or trapped the summer gardens her labours made lush. I know only that she fed the earth her eggshells and morning coffee grounds, that she harvested continually and in fullness the tender skins near breaking, near sugar, always before the chill. Not one bite lost. She'd mastered in a life how to grow a winter meal, to till, to weed, to water, to tend. Learned how, I hope, to be satisfied. Help me, Lord, to be satisfied. I was born impatient, under a vibrating star, but my mother taught me gently, before it ached us both to stand, how to slice fat into cold flour, sprinkle ice water by tablespoons, form a perfect discus of dough without touching it, unfurl the crust from a good French pin, brush with milk a proper flute, taught me too how to discern and sort and sugar down the fruit and when to fill the plate and when to wait instead for the juice to come in. Ordinary Sugar comes from Amanda Gunn's book, Things I Didn't Do With This Body. Thank you to Copper Canyon Press, who gave us permission to use Amanda's poem. Read it on our website at onbeing.org. Poetry Unbound is... Gautam Shrikishen. Eddie Gonzalez. Lillian Vell. Lucas Johnson. Amy Chatelain. Kayla Edwards. Anissa Hale. And me, Chris Hegel. Our music is composed and provided by Gotham Shrikashen and Blue Dot Sessions. This podcast is produced by On Being Studios, which is located on Dakota land. Open your world to poetry with us by subscribing to our Substack newsletter. You may also enjoy Padraig's new book, Poetry Unbound, 50 Poems to Open Your World. For links and to find out more, visit poetryunbound.org. This podcast is produced by On Being Studios in Minneapolis, Minnesota.